Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Will I Talk? Adam Peacock with you for a full review of the fourth test and a full preview of the fifth test coming up at the Oval later this week. With me today, we've got uh, News Corp Chief Cricket Writer Ben Horn. Benny, how are you, mate? Good, Adam. Good bit, to be back. Bit to talk about. There wasn't much cricket play, but there's a few storylines out of that one. And uh, joining us as well, former Australian test player, uh, Callum Ferguson. How are you, Cal? Good, Adam. Ben, great to be here. Cal, to you first. How good is rain? I just oh. love rain. I love oh. precipitation. <laughs> yes, me too. And it just kept coming, didn't it? It was um, just when you thought you might look like getting back out there, the covers were coming off. Then the big clouds would start sweeping through again. The lights had turned on and then it had downpour for hours. So it worked out perfectly. Piers Morgan was in tears for days. It was mm. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That might have been his tears actually, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> He's a go-to on uh, social media, of course. But geez, there was uh, some differing opinions about how that game ended and what it means and how it all settles after a fourth test that just means Australia retain the ashes but don't win them yet. And fair enough. I mean, it is, I guess, not the way that you want to retain the ashes um, in circumstances like that. But in terms of, you know, what's fair and all the rest of it, I mean, it's not the first time that we've had a rained out test. It does happen quite a lot. So uh, it seemed like it was a bit of a new concept to uh, to some people. But yeah, look, certainly Australia's got unfinished business. I mean, they retain the ashes last time with a drawn series. They'll want to be going one better this time. Otherwise, you know, I think it, you know, it will be... Yeah, a job that hasn't been quite finished. So as mentioned on this episode, we're going to have a full look at that fourth test at Old Trafford and look ahead to the Oval and conditions and selections and possibilities for what should be, I reckon, guys, the the most exciting dead rubber, if you want to call it that, in the history of cricket because there's so much to play for. And and Cal, out of that, um, we got basballed heavily, like badly basballed. First time it's really happened this test. So what are the key learnings, the takeaways for you from an Australian perspective? Yeah, look, it, it was a pretty messy uh, second day uh, for Australia and, and they did get caught out a little bit again um, once the heat was really turned on and it felt like we actually got hit off our line and length a little bit early from uh, Zach Crawley, particularly considering it seemed like we were right in the game pretty well all the way up until he, ma- he made his 50 and he'd offered opportunities. Nick Ball's uh, down to third man and fine leg from good length, top of off with good pace. And it felt like the minute he hit a couple of good cover drives against that, we just abandoned that plan and went really straight to him uh, and then started bashing the ball into the wicket a bit more. I just felt like maybe we lost our nerve a little bit quicker than we had previously to him. And it's a similar issue when Ben Stokes has managed to get himself going against us and then we saw later on in the innings Bearstow. Throughout this series as a whole, it's felt like we've been unwilling to go to that real death style white ball, get it outside their swinging arc, get it in, in under their heels with Yorkers. It's felt like we've been unwilling to budge on some of the plans we've gone into the series with. And that's concerning for me because I feel like you know, I'm hoping that it's a huge learning curve for Pat Cummins in particular because he hasn't captained a lot, if at all, actually, uh, leading into his Australian captaincy. He brings a lot of strengths to the role, and this is just a learning curve for him, I think, um, and an opportunity to grow as a captain. But certainly those points I made around the, the tactical awareness to to then get outside their swinging arcs has been something we've probably missed and not been quick enough to get onto. Particularly to Zach Crawley, I felt like we missed an opportunity early to just hold firm 
we just blinked a bit quicker than what Crawley did and, and it cost us big time, 100, 100 and plenty for him and and got them well in front of the game. Yeah, Travis had mentioned that actually on a, on a chat we had earlier in the week on Ash's talk, Ben, that just didn't quite get the uh, the line right to Zach Crawley and allowed him to get mm. away. Granted, he had a ch- he gave a chance and it wasn't quite taken mm. by Australia. But do you think the reaction has been too harsh on Pat Cummins's field placings and tactical awareness or is it fair enough that it is shone heavily in the spotlight out of that one? Uh, I think it's fair enough. I mean, I think Australia got just about everything wrong in that test really. Um, and, you know, as Cal's explained so well there, how things went wrong tactically. But I think the batting, you know, they, sh- they should have made more than 300 in the first innings and that contributed to then what happened with mm. the bowling. Um, if there was 450 on the board, it, the game, you know, takes on a different context from that point. And I just think Australia's attitude, and I know they're saying that they picked the team to win the match, they weren't thinking about the rain, but it just felt like there was a soft attitude taken into that match. It just felt like we were trying not to lose. They parked the bus. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. And so to me, it was all all those things combined. But look, yeah, I think that, yeah, Pat Cummins does deserve to have the his mm. tactics critiqued because there was moments in the earlier tests where they were exposed as well and Australia was good enough I suppose to to overcome it but you know they got um, barreled in this test match yeah Cal you got these two trains of thought with Pat and his cup captaincy it's like hang on a minute we've just won a world test championship and we've gone 2-0 up in an Ashes series he can't be totally directionless with his ideas but then that happens and it like kind of washes away. It's like you've you've remembered to put the bins out, but you get blamed for not unpacking the dishwasher or something like that. It's <laughs> it's like you do one thing wrong and everything else gets forgotten about. Mm. How does it sit with you? Is it has Pat got the cricket brain to handle something like this or learn from this and get it better for next time? Well, Pat has shown throughout his career on and off field that he's a student and he, he loves learning more and improving himself and He'll show a willingness to uh, to learn as much as he can out of this series. I've just been a little bit concerned that we've seen some similar issues arise throughout the series, and not you you don't want to be making the same mistakes you know over and over again. And I feel like we haven't quite learnt from some previous experiences at times. However, I do believe that he has done a fantastic job throughout his stint as captain so far. As I mentioned before, he's got some strengths and he's, he's going to have some weaknesses too. But I do feel like we need to be able to critique these guys and particularly Pat, like everyone else that's been in the role previously. No one's always going to get it right. And Mark Taylor said it on Channel 9 throughout this test match that you're going to have some bad days as captain. And, and that uh, Criticism is going to come, but it's just about your willingness to adapt and learn. And I think the Australians probably just haven't thought quickly enough and maybe been willing to be a little bit fluid with their plans throughout the series. And it's probably, it, well, it has. It's hurt us badly at times. Mm. Yeah, Cal, one thing I was wondering, and because it feels like it might be one of two things, could the coaching staff and the other senior players be doing more to help Pat Cummins? Because the way cricket teams work these days, it's not just one man. There's a huge staff there. There's several other senior players in the team that have more captaincy experience than Pat. Could they have done more to help identify these things before they got out of hand? Or is it the opposite and there's just too many opinions flying around? Yeah, it's a delicate 
balance. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You, you certainly don't want him surrounded by five or six guys at the end of every over because then it can really make it quite confusing for a captain with too many opinions coming out that make it hard to be really clear in their decision-making. So it's a real balance. When the, the great opportunity that you have in cricket is at each lunch and tea break, even at drinks, you've got an opportunity to, to reassess. Even when you take a wicket, there's, a, there's an opportunity as well. But I, I feel like some of these plans have been basically just you know, carved into stone and we haven't been willing to to just break away from them and go, you know what, we're playing a T20 right now. Ben Stokes, the way he's playing, is pillaging everything over the leg side that's hip high or waist high. We, we need to be going away from that really quickly, mm. even though we haven't talked about it at the lunch break. Our guys need to be thinking really clearly out in the ground and, and Pat doesn't have the same experience, you know, in the bank to to call upon that some of these other guys do out there. And I, I'm just wondering whether, you know, there's the freedom within that setup that they've got their leadership structured for some of these players that have captain T20 cricket to come over and say, look, I think this is the way we need to go right now. It's hard to know without being within those walls, but that's really important that you've got that up your sleeve and there is some lines of communication to the captain to be able to switch to guns when missiles aren't working. Yeah, Pat has said that though. He said that T20 is the the hardest thing to Mm. kind of get your head around tactically because so much is happening at once. And Mm. Cal's right, this is turning into a T20 contest, so you've got to almost kind of go into that mode if yeah. you can. Yeah, look, I mean, this isn't what we're talking about now, obviously, but I mean, I, I am a bit concerned about Pat Cummins captaining at the one-day World Cup. I just, like, I think test cricket is enough and that's possibly an extra challenge that perhaps he doesn't need. But look, overall... But I, who, who else would? <laughs> good question. I, I probably would go Steve Smith for the one-day World Cup as, yep. a, as a one-off. But look, in terms of test cricket, I think Pat Cummins is the best man for the job. I think... Leadership-wise, he has brought a lot to the table mm. and they are they have retained the Ashes and they could still win them, which no captain has done in 25 years. So uh, obviously we'll have another look at things after the next test, but he's still, you know, very close to achieving something that, um, you know, a lot of very good captains haven't yet. They won the World Test Championship. They lost in India. You know, if they can win this Ashes series, you'll look at Australia's performance over the last few months and they've, they've done mm. well. Can England play any better, Cal, than what we saw? That that's the best I reckon that they can play. <laughs> that last uh, that last Test match, you know, Old Trafford was a, a great facility for them from a from a batting standpoint. It, it comes onto the bat pretty well. It bounces a bit and it's flat, not doing a lot uh, sideways off the wicket. If they're going to basball anyone on any pitch, that's the wicket, and we saw it in full swing. And and it's a spectacle. We know that, but. To see it so successful against the world number one team, the current Test Championship holders, was quite, um, you know, it, was, it hit you in the face a bit. Um, mm. We weren't expecting it to, to to certainly hit us like that. So, yes, I think that's about as well as they can play. It'll be really interesting to see how this English side backs up. Chris Wokes and, and, and Mark Wood haven't played a lot of cricket leading into this, so they'll be sore. But on the, on the flip side, Australia are a bit too. So it's going to be one hell of a contest we've got coming up. Yeah, the Australian bowlers, like Pat, he, I think he had one good spell in the whole in the whole innings, but he was one for 129. Mitch Stark, two for 137, and, and Big Hoff, five for 126. That's that's some tap that they copped, all of them, yep. and the <laughs> aching and short turnaround, although everyone just sat on their ass for two days, so it, it couldn't have been too bad. It was good to see Marnus make some runs 
as well, even though he got, he's still filthy about how he got out, but oh, still, yeah. Um, yeah. all that shadow batting in Spain on his uh, little time off um, <laughs> paid off, Benny. Actually, on that, yeah. Adam, on, yeah. on that, um, on those numbers, I, this break comes at a good time for our fast bowlers, and particularly Pat Cummins. Just talking about Pat's captaincy, the fact that they had two days of rain after their huge workload at, um, at the bowling crease, I do feel like the rain and this little break between the test matches actually comes at a good time for the Australians to reassess, mm. look at their tactics, and really find some focus going into this next test match. Um, so in actual fact, I think this little rain delay that, you know, it couldn't have gone worse for England, which is fantastic for Australian fans. Mm. Yeah, I agree, Cal. And I just think there should be some freedom now in the fact that the Ashes are retained. Like, I know it's a small thing, but they really do. Having already retained the Ashes last time, I think it gives Australia a freedom to just go out and attack this match. That, you know, and there's nothing to lose. Just go, go and win the game. They can't wait for England to make a mistake. Mm. Just go and win the game. So... I think that there will be a bit of a mental adjustment and I, I think Australia are capable of fighting back. We'll have a look at the, some of the selection issues uh, later in the show, but right now I want to switch focus and uh, go to the England side of things and listen to this, guys, from Ben Stokes. This was in the press conference, went about 15 minutes. I didn't hear him congratulate Australia for retaining the Ashes or anything like that. It was more about England, so you can only answer the questions that you were getting. Have a listen to this answer from a guy who won't be holding aloft an Ashes trophy. You know, the, the rewards for your work isn't what you get, it's actually what you become. And I think what we've managed to become is a team that people will remember. Um, I said that well before the series started, that I want our team to try play a game and try and play a brand of cricket that people will always talk about. Now that, to me, says a lot about modern society. Now, I mean this with the greatest <laughs> respect to Ben Stokes, but... It's winning's important, but how important? But there was a strain of not denialism, but almost Trumpism about the way that England have talked this whole series about how much they believe. They're almost indoctrinated to this is the way to play. And if we get the result, great. But no, this is the way to play. It's 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 weird, Cal. It's, I don't mind it because it, it is so entertaining to watch and we're captivated by it. But just <laughs> cult-like. <laughs> well, it's a strong word, but, I mean, it's along yeah. those lines, is it? Like, mm. where does that sit with you that it's not what you get in terms of result but what you become? It's very philosophical. Um, it is, isn't it? But are you on that page or are you uh, uh, of the traditional thought? Oh, I'm very much uh, – we're, we're out there trying to win and um, there's a lot of people back home in Australia that – are watching us until late in the night, hoping to see an Australian and an Australian victory. And I think a lot of the fans, when things started to go south at at O two, at the start of the series for England, a lot of English fans were were angry, frustrated, and and weren't enjoying some of that some of that chat from their their own dressing room. And I don't think that's something that you'll see Australia adopt. It's it's about trying to to win and and get a victory for for your team and for your fans back home and um i i don't, I don't like I, I tend to agree a little bit about um you know the the society we're in these days it, it's it's almost like they're coming out, out and and trying to sell this story to everyone and it's to take a bit of pressure off themselves. Um, mm. The fact that, you know, the win isn't everything. And there was a lot of, you know, mirth around the fact that, oh, you know, we're, you know, England are 3-0 up, aren't they? You know, after that 
that test at Headingley, you know, with the way that they'd played in the first two tests, you know, it was like we'd won. That That's not really flying and it's not passing the pub test, I don't think, Ben. Absolutely. I mean, look, before this um, cult of baseball, if you looked at a series like this, you would say that England have bottled it. You know, they've, they've butchered it because I mm. agree that they have been the better team for most of the series, but they are 2-1 down and the scoreboard doesn't lie. I, I just think that they have tried, as you said, tried to flip the narrative to take pressure off themselves. But if you're as dominant as what England's been and you get on this roll, then, you know, why aren't you? Why, why haven't you won the series? And mm. they have made mistakes. I think the way they played the first two tests, you know, they deserve to be criticised for that because you look at what they're capable of now. Yeah. And, and they, they should be in a better position. I'll just look at a couple of things. Firstly, you look back to 05, that magnificent series. Yes. Does anyone in Australia look back and go, oh, no, we played the better cricket. England just got lucky. Like well, England won the big moments there. Okay, Glenn McGrath stepped on a cricket ball at an opportune yes. time. There were a few other things like Ricky Ponting getting mm. run out by a, a, a guy that should have been playing at first stop for the freaking uh, – at short stop for the freaking New York Yankees. But yeah. th- there was that. But there were little things. But we look back and I go, no, actually, England were too good. I just wonder in 20 years' time, guys, how England will look back at this, given that they won't win the series, even if it gets to 2 all. But if it goes to 3-1, they'll look back and go, nah, 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 we were better. We were better. Don't worry about that result. That's why this test is so big. I mean, the difference between 2 all and 3-1, I mean, if it's 3-1 Australia, then, yeah, good luck standing up the argument that England were the better team. Yeah, the big moments are, are what we what we play for, and you know you want to see your players stand up when when the game's on the line and when the big decisions are there to be made. And we we live and die by the sword in those moments. And I don't think anyone really looks back at 05 and thinks we should have won that series. Mm. Albeit the stats all pointed to us winning that series if you look at it really closely. And again, this series, you know, there's some pretty interesting stats getting around about our bowlers. You know, our bowlers are sitting on a winning side, in in a winning side at the moment, and they're pretty much all averaging around 30 per wicket. And that's pretty unusual over in England. So I think at the end of the day, the great sides that we remember win the big moments. England haven't won the big moments through the majority of the series. They sit 2-1 down. That sits really comfortably with me. And I think when at the when it's all said and done in, in 15 years' time, 20 years' time, you know, a bit like the 05 series, if England don't win this series and they lose it 3-1, no one's going to remember how they played and think, oh, well, well they, they should have won it. <laughs> they will. Yeah, the guys in the dressing room will. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I do think that Ben Stokes and Brendan McCollum deserve to be recognised as, as trailblazers because I yeah. think what they've done is mm. incredible. And in modern sport, you don't see that very often because teams follow each other and it's it's hard to be original. And I think they do deserve a lot of credit. They play entertaining cricket, but they seem very in love with the way that they're playing cricket and that's the part that, you know, is, is very tedious. Something happened about, oh, what was it, 20, 30 years ago, maybe a bit longer with FC Barcelona and football. Sorry to link it back to football again. But, I love um, football. <laughs> Johan Cruyff came into the joint. And he changed the way that they play and think about football. And since then, FC Barcelona, not saying that they didn't play brilliant football before, but they've had this period of success off the back of playing a defined way. It's have the ball, it's possession, it's short passing, it's movement, it's spatial awareness, it's playing with your brain. Pep Guardiola then does what he did around 2012 Mm. with Barcelona. And then the the place has stayed, they've had some very good players to be able to do it. But I just wonder with this, linking it back to cricket, if England, the head honchos there go, right, 
we're never going to deviate from this style of cricket again, regardless of who the coach and the captain is. So usually in cricket, it's captain comes in with his style and coach compliments, and we're going to play this certain way. Mm. I just wonder, Cal, if this is going to change forever and whatever appointment they make is based around this style of cricket. Can you see it happening? Uh, Look, I think they'll certainly carry elements of it forward. There's no doubt about it. And I think most of the time what you're also trying to do is match up a game style to the to the players that you've got in there your best mm. 11 what does it look like and and what's the style that's going to complement the 11 that you've got and when england looked at playing this uh, this style and, and bring this philosophy in it was a side that was devoid of confidence they were under all sorts of pressure and if you look at the game style and the the messaging that they're bringing to the media it matches a side that needs to find something because and needs the pressure taken off them and needs to break the shackles. This this style of play is designed to take the pressure off the players and allow them freedom to go out and mm. and play their way. And so I feel like it suits their style to be this way at the moment. And it's offered a side that really had nothing to fall back on some hope. And that's how I see this right now. And what they've discovered is it actually, it stands up Mm. in a lot of uh, different, I'd say, conditions around the world. And it matches up pretty well now against the best side in the world. So there's no doubt they've found something to carry forward. I don't think all of the elements are going to suit every player that ever comes into this lineup, but certainly it's suiting the modern day English player that was under an enormous amount of pressure for a long time. I, I don't think that they can find a captain who can replicate Ben Stokes. That's the thing. Like, he's mm. just so unique. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I don't think that they come along every day. So replacing Ben Stokes as captain and carrying out this philosophy will be very difficult. Um, Brendan McCollum probably more easily replace him as, as a coach. But, yeah, I, I think there's so something... So it shouldn't be called Basball. It should be called <laughs> Stokes well, I think, I think, Benball. I think Brendan McCollum is the architect of the entire thing, but it's Ben Stokes on the field who's able to carry it out and just, you know, it's just his stature on the field which um, is so intimidating, I think. I don't think Brendan McCollum's ever going to be out of work ever again. <laughs> no. Fair to say. I think that's fair to say, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know the conversations between him and Stokes about decision-making. Mm. If if McCollum kind of plants seeds in Stokes's mind or he just lets him go with an overarching, this is how it kind of looks like, you do the rest. Mm. Well, apparently they t- don't talk about cricket at all between series. What are they, they talk about? Just, I don't know, races. Golf, but um, I think okay. they've got a very different <laughs> Mark War approach to uh, <laughs> yeah to your traditional pairing. But yeah, there's something about the way they complement each other. Mm. But I, I agree that I think you know you look at that England top order. There's not many of those guys that probably would cut it playing <laughs> traditional Block test ball. cricket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they've definitely um, Joe Root and Ben Stokes aside. I think the rest of those guys very much are, are mm. just fitting this style. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm going to end this little uh, first break with the fact that uh, we put it out there to the Willow Talk Instagram followers. Um, Producer Sam put something out there about is 2-1 a fair reflection of the series after four matches? 87% of our listeners said yes. So get that up your peers, Morgan. Off to a break. (laughs) Back in a moment (laughs) to preview the Oval. Yeah, welcome back. Cal, what about the Oval? I'm a card-carrying member of the Michael Nisa fan club and I think Mm. he's been totally unlucky in his uh, in his Australian representative career and you yeah. know how that feels like sometimes as well. What do they do with this bowling unit for this test? 
Yeah, look, I think um, I think a lot of it comes down to how well the the quicks bounce back from this last test match. And I actually think they'll bounce back really well, physically that that is. You know, having two days of rain, yes, it was a huge workload in that first innings with the ball, but I, I, they've had plenty of time to rest and recoup and get themselves up and running again. So it'll literally be down to which side they think gives them the best chance to win. I'm not expecting too many changes, to be honest, to the bowling lineup, apart from one all-rounder dropping out and Murphy coming back in. It felt like there was a bit of a, a play each way um, with two all-rounders being in that lineup last time. I think Ben was right. They were definitely looking ahead to the rain that was coming. And I don't necessarily look down on that at all personally. But what I do think is Australian cricket sides are, are far better off having a spinner in it, particularly when you go to a venue like the Oval, which has traditionally spun. And I think it's going to be really important that Murphy gets an opportunity and has a bit more faith shown in him mm. in his next opportunity. Michael Nisa is extraordinarily unlucky. Like, I just – I can't see him coming in for this test match. I think perhaps if one quick was sore and wasn't able to get up, you know, we've had a bad run with Josh Hazelwood. The poor bloke just hasn't been able to string a lot of test cricket together. And if they're even iffy 50-50 or even 70-30 that they think he'll be right for that test match, I'd look at moving to Michael Nisa. Scott Boland just hasn't been able to get it right with the juke ball over there. So that would be my move. If if one quick was to come in, it would be Nisa. I'd be bringing Nisa in. I think there is concern over Mitchell Stark and Mitchell Marsh and how they pull up. It's still early days, I suppose. But I think in this circumstance, fifth test and Australia needing to win and you think about how uh, how much work mentally and physically these guys have done, I think they will err on the side of of caution with that and probably um, bring in – you play the, the fitter men, I suppose. So I would bring Michael Nisa in more – for the mental freshen up than the mm-hmm. physical, because I get it that the rain has um, given them a bit of an extra break. But I just think they Michael Nisa just brings something where he hasn't been bazballed. He's not scarred by what's happened. He's been playing in England during the uh, winter over there, um, and I just I, I would like to see him come in, and he might have a, a similar effect to what Chris Wokes has had. You don't lose much with a bat. With Michael, it's say if one of those all rounders drop out, say Mitch Marsh. I know he's playing Div Two, Cal, and you can mm. you can give us an idea about the levels. You got Div Two County, Div mm. One County, and then Test cricket. I know it's a long way down, but he did crack 176 in his last uh, last trip to the crease. Not bad. Yeah, no, he's a he's a good player. Don't don't mistake mistake that at all. He uh, he offers plenty with everything he does. He, he's wholehearted, ball, bat, field. Uh, he'll bring energy. Don't worry. So uh, he would be a great fit for any Australian team. But I just can't see them making that change. And the difference between Div One and Div Two is quite substantial. But almost more substantial from the um, from the conditions point of view. Mm. The Div 2 sides are trying to get results. Uh, we saw a period of, of shield cricket over the last probably about five, six years ago and the seven years before that where there were a lot of result wickets being prepared. That's what you see in Div 2, a lot of three-day games, making sure there's no draw as often as possible, where Div 1 you see a lot of draws, flatter wickets. So mm. from a batting point of view, it's great to see that he's making a lot of runs. Wickets-wise, he would have been uh, seeing a few result wickets, but where he was playing at Glamorgan was actually quite flat. Mm. That's one of the flatter wickets. So I'd actually say it levels out pretty well and, and he'd be really well prepared to, to step into a flat wicket in a test match in the next test match. So... 
Yeah, I, I, I don't see them making the move, though, to be honest. And I, I, if it all being well, everyone's healthy, I think Mitch Marsh holds his spot and Cameron Green goes out and Murphy comes in. What does this test mean for Dave Warner? Well, it uh, could be the last time that we see him in test cricket. Even though he's called the SCGs, he's uh, he swan song? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, runs in this test will be important and the result of the test will probably be important as well. Mm. I think if Australia wins the series 3-1, it certainly enhances his chances of um, playing those extra three tests in the summer. But, yeah, I think those two factors will be pretty crucial. I think, um, yeah, it, it, it runs and, and a victory. Yeah, it's it's Pakistan three series culminating that that series culminates in the Sydney Test, does it not? And then you have got the yes. Windies after that. Mm. So can you see that happening, Cal? That, that they just won't rock the boat there; they'll just keep it keep it the same. Oh, I, I still feel like he needs some runs in this next Test match. Mm. Um, you know, like I, I, no one's guaranteed anything these days, and or if any, at, at any time um, when it comes to the national side, I'd love to see it because I think he's he's certainly throughout his career, I feel like he, he's earned a, a swan song like that. But at the end of the day, the runs are, are your currency and he needs some runs. And and I think uh, if Australia win this test match on the back of him making runs, no problems, he, he'll make it through. But I think at the end of the day, he's going to need some runs in this test match to, to see that happen. You look at the Australian best 11, say Nathan Lyons obviously in that best 11 from this series. If, if they had everyone fit, they would go Warner, Kawaja, Smith, Marnus, Head, Green, Carey, Cummins, Stark, Lyon, Hazelwood. 2027, no Warner, no Kawaja, no Smith, you'd say. Uh, Marnus stays, Trav Head's there, uh, Cam Green, Carey, Cummins, I don't know, Stark, I don't know, Lyon. Not going to write him off, but <laughs> he could play until he's 45. He's, I'd say he's more likely <laughs> right. than some of the others, to be Eddie honest. Hemmings. Was that him who played until he – no. Uh, and then Hazelwood, not sure as well. There's a lot of uncertainty. So does that then highlight how important this test is in terms of, you know, this could be the last one on English Oil and Ashes. Yeah. Opportunity to go 3-1. Does that place any more motivation in these players? You know them pretty well, Benny. Absolutely. I mean, this is a – yeah, the end of this generation, I suppose, in terms of a big series like the Ashes. Um, yeah, those fast bowlers you mentioned are all into their early to mid-30s. So this is the end of an era in some respects. I think the biggest task for Cricket Australia after this series is convincing Steve Smith to play on for a couple more years. I'm not saying he would make it through to 2027, but to me he's a crucial part of bridging between this generation and the next. Mm. He might not be the force that he's been, you know, in two years' time, but I think Steve Smith, his experience and his ability to um, to score in the big moments, I'd be putting a lot of effort into that if I was Australia because Steve was quite mysterious last summer about how long he would play on for. Mm. I, don't, I don't think that this is the end for Steve Smith. I'm not saying that. I, I think that there's still more to come, but... Yeah, as you look at that generation coming to an end, Steve Smith batting on for a couple more years, I think, is is critical. Is that any type of factor in this test match, Cal, about, you know, might not be back here ever again in Australian colours? Yeah, I, I think it is, absolutely. And um, you've got a, you know, you've got a group of players that have never won a series on English soil. That's a huge motivation for this this team, no doubt about it. I agree with Ben. Um, Steve Smith would be a great conduit moving us through to the next generation. But at the same time, he also mentioned, you know, uh, what was it now, 2018, 
when he was out with the suspension that he 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 thought about retirement, whether he wanted to keep playing. So it's been on his mind for a long time now. I'm hopeful that he plays for a couple more years as well. But uh, certainly Australia need to be preparing and thinking right now, what if? Um, because, you know, Steve thinks a bit differently to, to, to a lot of us um, in the cricket fraternity. And we sort of look at him and go, he's fit and well, and he's, you know, he's going to play forever. But, you know, 2018, he was talking about potential retirement mm. and obviously special circumstances there. But um, the other thing we've got to start thinking about, you know, you, we didn't mention Marcus Harris in that group of players that, you know, potentially might not be there in 27. Um, he's 31 years old now and Matthew Renshaw is not in the squad right now. And, you know, I wonder at what point are they going to start looking at, you know, who's who's coming in next? Are they still thinking Harris or are they thinking more long-term mm. uh, to someone like Renshaw who um, has had a lot of success in county cricket over in England? Because what we do know is generally we're looking at the next Ashes series and, and planning around our cricket squads around that. So there's a lot of decisions to be made, not within the middle order and, and around who's replacing Steve Smith, but at the top of the order, as we were mentioning with with David Warner. Well, that's a podcast in itself about the depth around Australian cricket and, and the production line and where it's all sitting. Yeah. We won't get into it right now, but it's definitely something that we're going to cover in the next uh, couple of weeks or months here on Willow Talk. Just one quickly on England selection. So Jimmy Anderson, we talk of legacies. Surely this is his last Ashes test, if selected. Now, England, <laughs> Bazball, Ben Ball, whatever you want to call it, it's all about living in the now, the vibes, mm. all of that. <laughs> do they live in the now and go, hey, he's not in our best 11, or do they go, hang on a minute, absolute legend, let's give him one more trundle out at the Oval? If there's a guy who deserves one last trundle and to go in, you know, with everyone knowing that this is his last test, it'll be, it'll be James Anderson. I don't think he's in their best attack. I'd be bringing tongue in if you're picking that. but Tong. Tongue, yeah. Wasn't it but, Tom? Um, it changed his name. <laughs> depends who you ask and where they're well, from. Yeah. It's, it's tongue. <laughs> Sorry. It's how you spell it. I'm with you. Sorry. <laughs> I just jumped in. Look, some commentators calling him Tong. I said, what? Well, you get every 30 miles, you get a different accent in England, <laughs> yeah. Adam. So they're all saying it different over there. Tongue. Anyway. But yeah, look, I Jimmy went okay in that test. He didn't take, only took one wicket, but he kept things pretty tight. But I don't know. It depends. If Jimmy's decided this is his last series, then I'd be playing him. Yeah, fair enough. Last one, gents. Or two two questions to round it out. Um, Cow, you can go first. After four tests, who is your player of the series? And give us a prediction for the Oval. Ooh, player of the series. Uh Look, I actually think the player that's most impacted the series up until now has been Mark Wood, the way he's turned the series on on its head. And I'm looking for impact when I'm making a call around this. It's not purely stats-based, but his numbers stack up pretty well as well. But certainly um, he is the one that has turned this series into the competitive beast that it is right now. When things could have very easily slipped for for previous uh, England lineups, he's been the one that stood up. I'll I'd, come back to you for your prediction. Go. <laughs> I'd probably say Ben Stokes. Mm. Obviously, if the result ends up 3-1, I'd probably be reassessing that. But as it stands right now, Ben Stokes with his captaincy, his batting efforts, and just his whole presence, I'd be going Ben Stokes. I've got him a narrow second to a man who's going to piss off a lot of Englishmen listening right now. <laughs> I've got to go Alex Carey. For okay. purely for the not the Bearstow incident, mm. I'm not taking the PI double five, but mm. match turning moments like sending the match, the path of the match down a different yep. um, path with his keeping has been the difference, in my opinion. Yeah. 
because you look at what Bearstow served up mm. with the gloves. No offense, Johnny. I know you got an ankle problem, but mm-hmm. I would have thought when you cross that line, all of that gets left behind. But anyway, it's his way of thinking. But Alex Carey, the way he's kept, and I'm, I'm not just doing this to try and get a free coffee down in Adelaide when I'm down there next, Cal, but... Yeah, you'll get a few, don't worry. <laughs> it's in all serious, or one of those West Ends or whatever the bloody hell that drink no, is. You don't, yeah. No, no, no. Cooper's smiled <laughs> out. Yes, Cooper's. You've done it well. He's been elite. Mm, he's yeah, been fantastic. So yeah. that, that's why I've got him on top. I agree with just. that. Totally. I think it, particularly in the first two test matches where Johnny Bairstow was really battling behind the stumps. He was he was the difference. You know, there were probably, there were eight dismissals or nine dismissals between them really mm. on the turn with the ones that, that Bairstow missed. It's a great call out, Adam. It was 150 runs, I think, difference between the two in terms of chances dropped and those batters going on to make what they made. Wow. And that's that in the series that we've got is, mm. uh, is defining. Prediction yep. for the over Cal? Uh, I'm going to say draw. That wicket has been flat as attack, particularly this year in county cricket. Former teammate of mine, Daniel Worrell, I've watched him toiling away through the county <laughs> season on wickets that just keep getting flatter and flatter. So I'm going to go with a draw. Uh, it's going to be 2-1 Australia, albeit I said 3-1 at the start of the series. So I'd mm-hmm. take an Australian win as well. Provided the rain doesn't interfere with this match, I think Australia will get themselves up. I'll go Australia by one run. Just to rub it in. <laughs> Just to rub Love it that. in. Oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine? No, it, it, in all seriousness, we're, we're very biased here. Well, I am anyway about Australia and yeah. what they've done, but it's been one a hell of a series and hopefully this fifth test, they get some sunshine, which the forecast does say, oh, a few scattered showers, but they should have enough time to to get in the, the 500, 600 overs that they need to get a result. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed we've got a great contest coming up and the weather stays away. Ben Horn, thank you, mate. We'll chat soon. Thanks for having us, guys. Cal Ferguson, see you on the screens. And, um, yeah, good luck with the no-dos before uh, before play. Again, <laughs> with been, the 3 o'clock finishes, mate. They've been serving me well. Thanks, guys. It's been good fun again. That was Willow Talk. We'll be back soon with more cricket. Cricket.